Is Jesus a Republican or a Democrat, right or left? We're going to look at that today here on the Barefoot Bible Podcast. friends and God bless. I am your host Arturo Moreno and you are listening to the Barefoot Bible Podcast, a grungy guide to Christianity. The weekly Christian podcast where we talk about theology, apologetics, faith topics, and so much more, all from the most raw and real perspective possible. I hope that all of you listening have had a blessed week and it is my prayer that God would always be revealing himself to each of you more and more as you commune with him in your daily lives. If you are a returning listener, hey, welcome back and thank you so much for your support. I appreciate all of you who tune in every single week to the podcast and all of you that are subscribed. And if you are joining for the first time, then shalom. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, if you like what we're doing here, then go ahead and subscribe on your preferred listening service and give us a share while you're at it. Any help getting the word out about this podcast and our mission helps immensely and we appreciate any and all support. So make sure to share and send it to your friends and family. Now, today's topic is a very important one, and I am discussing today's content with a heavy heart. Today's show is not going to be as educational as previous episodes have been, and not every episode of the show will be. Some will be like today, where I discuss simply what the Lord has put on my heart to discuss. And while today's episode will be centered around the topic of politics, I won't be discussing practical and biblical approaches to politics or how to address issues when voting, etc. Rather, I believe that the Lord has given me a message of conviction to the body. And so with that said, I feel that I should warn some of you just because of the sensitivity of this topic that you might even be angered or made upset by certain things I am going to say. But I want to encourage you that if you need to, pause the podcast, get on your knees, And pray to the Lord that when listening to this, you would not be stirred up into anger of the flesh. Rather, that you would receive this message with a calm spirit and an open mind. It is my personal prayer that the Lord would move through this episode, convict as he sees fit to convict, and to touch the lives of all of you in Jesus' name. Now, we got a lot of content today and a lot of scripture, and I can't wait to dive into this. But before doing so, I want to take a look at some current events going on in the world as of recently. And so I was scrolling on Twitter the other day and I saw that Sean Foyt, a brother in the Lord, some of y'all may know him, he made a tweet this week that grabbed my attention. And his tweet said, just when you think California has gone too far, they just keep outdoing themselves. And attached is a news article from the Sacramento Bee, which is headlined, Singing in Houses of Worship Banned Under New Order from Newsom as Pandemic Worsens. The article goes on to say, Californians are still free to attend their house of worship, but they are forbidden from singing or chanting. Updated COVID-19 guidelines issued Wednesday by the State Department of Public Health require churches and other houses of worship to discontinue singing and chanting activities. In previously allowing organizations to reopen in late May, The state merely said these institutions should strongly consider discontinuing singing 
group recitation, and other practices and performances. Health agencies such as Federal Centers for Disease Control and Prevention say shouting or singing can spread the coronavirus just as easily as coughing or sneezing. California's health department agrees, and as Governor Gavin Newsom begins tightening protocols during a resurgence of the pandemic, it now says that singing and chanting are outright banned. So my issue with this, besides the fact that it is a clear violation of First Amendment rights, is that it is clearly, and and hear me out here, there is no way it could not be, clear discrimination against religious establishments in the state of California. Firstly, they refused to open churches in the state pushing the reopening as far as May. Then, they forbid the churches from meeting at full capacity, which is understandable to a degree, right? But they severely limited the number of attendees. Churches which seat as much as 4,000 people could only allow 100 people into the building, which is ridiculous. But now this? And some of you might say that I'm throwing the word discrimination around, but honestly, what else could it be, right? Where was their limits on people who could attend open protests in the streets? Thousands of people, they gathered in the streets to protest clear and present injustice in this country across the state of California, but the government didn't bat an eye at the lack of social distancing, that some wore masks and some didn't, and not to mention the collective shouting and chants used to vocally express their grievances. But now on top of the excessive limitations on church attendance and religious organizations, they're going to sign into order that singing and chanting within houses of worship is banned? Couldn't they have solved that with their whole wear a mask thing? I mean, I feel like that's a that's a much more simple approach to this than than saying that singing and chanting within houses of worship is outright banned. What about the California state constitution, which doesn't allow such a thing to happen at all? What, you don't believe me? Well, let's take a look at it. I got it pulled up right here in front of me. According to the constitution of the state of California, under Article 1, Section 4. It says, free exercise and enjoyment of religion without discrimination or preference are guaranteed. This liberty of conscience does not excuse acts that are licentious or inconsistent with the peace or safety of the state. Hmm. Well, Governor Newsom, if you are going to say that gathering in churches with less than a quarter attendance and singing praise and hymns, and for Jews chanting the Shema Israel at synagogue, and for Muslims praying out loud toward Mecca within their mosques are a threat to the peace of the state, then what do you have to say about the protesters in your streets who openly shouted, were close together, and even hugging one another, some of which were gathered in groups and sang songs to bring one another together in unity to celebrate the joy of human lives? What do you have to say about that? It looks exactly like discrimination to me. As I said, they could have just made them all wear masks. And and I'm not speaking against the peaceful protests that have been going on in our country at all, okay? I understand, and I just want to say, hey, black lives do matter. They are human beings. They deserve just as much the right to life as guaranteed in our country and should be within the natural world as anybody. They should not be treated poorly just because of the color of their skin, and I get it, okay? I myself, I've received plenty of racial discrimination due to my Hispanic and Jewish heritages, even from my own people, and believe me, I am grieved over injustices committed against African Americans in this country. I'm not taking away from that at all, but why is it that these things can happen without hindrance, 
but the ability to praise and worship our God within our own sanctuaries is being treated as such a threat. They kind of seem like almost one and the same thing. People shouting, people hugging in close proximity, people singing. There's not a difference there. If you don't see the hypocrisy in this, then you are living with blinders over your eyes. Friends, this is incredibly heartbreaking. And it hurts my heart to see this happening in our country. And if any of you are listening are from California and you are brothers and sisters in the faith, I just want to let you know that I am with you, that I am praying for you, that I am speaking out against this and bringing others within my circles to intercede on your behalf. And to the California governing authorities, while I am praying for your salvation and realization of the truth in belief in the Lord Jesus, I also stress that God is very displeased with the actions you are taking against his church and his people who belong to it. As one who's been the one who actively makes oneself an opposing enemy of the Lord, I would be very worried about what might be in store for you at the end of his righteous hand of judgment. But with that said, also, I want to stress to all believers listening to me as I am talking about this. The people that are seated in government in California, they are not our enemy. We have an enemy. Our enemy is in the spiritual world. And I want to encourage every single one of you, as much as this grieves me, as much as this burns in a holy anger inside of me, don't take it out on them. Instead, I want to encourage you to pray for the people of California. If God is going to give judgment on California for their actions, that's on Him. As for you and me, we are instructed to love them and pray for those who persecute us. And so with all that addressed, I want to get on to today's topic. So very soon we will be transitioning focus from our everyday worries to the national elections. And with that, there will be a massive surge and a sort of election fever. It is very easy to get so into the elections that you get tunnel vision and scramble around worrying about who's going to get into office and what the outcome is going to be for our country. I'm not taking anything away from the beautiful right that we have as Americans to vote, and I'm not saying that we as Christians shouldn't be involved to a degree with our nation's politics, but I want to encourage you, dear listeners, please remember that there is a greater focus we need to have on our nation than our nation's politics and political systems. As important that it is to elect biblical godly leaders and officials, our focus is and always should be the gospel. Again, I'm not saying not to have involvement with these things. In fact, I actually encourage it. But the gospel should be at the forefront of why we are getting involved. It's quite simple. The gospel changes the hearts of human people, which directly intersects with the culture, which in turn affects the political decisions made by our country's citizens, which will directly affect the culture, which will always directly intersect with the gospel. So yes, be involved, but my focus today is not to discuss the process of making political decisions with a biblical worldview. To bring it back to the gospel, as I just stated, the more influence the gospel has in our country, the more a biblical worldview will be instilled within the hearts of the citizens of this country, and thus the more influence it will have on those who will be running for public office. We always need to remember that biblically, all social moral issues come from the condition of the heart, which the Bible tells us, according to Jeremiah 17, 9, is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? 
We know from the testimony of scripture also that no amount of laws, be them from God or man, could ever change the condition of the heart, right? Despite all the laws into the Torah and all the man-made institutions that were attached to the law, the Lord still said concerning his people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The answer is not in laws and social reform enforced by the law, nor is it going to be found in a lack of strict centralized government. The answer is not within whether you are politically left, liberal, right, conservative, or whatever it may be. Why? Because none of those things can change the heart. There is only one thing that has the power to change the wicked heart of man, and that is nothing other than the blood of Jesus, which was poured out for the sake of you and all mankind. There is no other cure. No law is ever going to be able to accomplish what the cross accomplished, and it's important that we recognize this and keep the gospel at the highest priorities as Christians. Whether you like President Trump or don't support President Trump, whether you like Joe Biden or you can't stand him, that doesn't matter at the end of the day because none of it is important. The gospel is infinitely higher than any man-made institution of government, infinitely higher than any political party. Now, there's nothing wrong with supporting a political party, but when you begin to place that in value over the value of the gospel, we have a problem. And I see a lot of Christians doing this. So many are caught up in conspiracy theories and all this he said, she said, back and forth nonsense of whether or not the government is doing ABC or the people are saying XYZ and so forth. We focus so much on this that we tend to proclaim our own political beliefs instead of proclaiming the gospel itself. Y'all, how did we get so off track? How did we get to the point where we begin to value our personal political viewpoints over what the Bible says? Sure, the left has its fair share of evils. And believe me, I'm absolutely grieved over the fact that they religiously preach abortion as health care, that some of them support elderly euthanasia, and that constantly pursue for an incredibly secular society. But the right has its fair share of problems too. Honestly, there's a lot of people I see on the right that are incredibly cynical. They're rude, and they're just as condemning as the quote-unquote intolerable left they so often speak against. Now, for people on both sides who are of the world, well, I expect nothing less from them. However, to see people who claim allegiance to the banner of the cross acting this way breaks my heart. And I often find within myself this burning fire that is fueled by holy anger toward this. To see people on the left who claim the banner of the cross and continually bash the president despite the word telling us according to 1 Peter 2, 13-14, be subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or in our modern case, the president of the United States or as to governors as set by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. To see Christians not living up to that is incredibly heartbreaking. And make no mistake that if there was a politically left president in office right now, the Christians of the right would probably slander that individual just as much as the left does to President Trump today. If you don't see this as an issue, then you are likely part of the problem. I'm sorry to say that, but that's the truth of it. It is a serious problem that brothers and sisters of the faith that are politically on the right are calling other people things such as libtard 
They're saying that because some people think politically left that they are retarded or calling them things such as snowflake and even certain expletives that I can't repeat in good conscience. The same goes for politically left brothers and sisters that slander those on the right in equal measure. I've even seen supposed brothers with toilet paper in their homes with either Barack Obama's or Donald Trump's faces on them. Seriously? You know, I can give you so many places in scriptures where we as believers are clearly instructed not to even do such things. In fact, why don't we look at some? 1 Peter 2.1 So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Ephesians 4.25-27 Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Romans 12, 1-2 I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And lastly, I want to look at Romans 13, 1 through 7. I want you to keep in mind before I read this, that when the Apostle Paul wrote this, he was under the authority of the Roman Emperor Nero, who, as some of you may or may not know, was well known for placing Christians on stakes, covering them with tar, and then setting them on fire while they are alive to keep the streets of Rome lit during the night for his own personal amusement. It's actually where we get the term Roman candle from. Paul, in that environment, says this, and listen very carefully, friends. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Really think that. Actually, I encourage you right now, pause the podcast and reflect on that for at least two minutes. I want to charge you with that, to really let that sink in. Again, keeping in mind what emperor he's under, and he says, such radically insane things as rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. If you do not agree with President Trump, 
if you do not agree with the Democrats in office, wherever they may be. If you do not agree with anyone in a seat of government, then more power to you to do so. But if you are going to claim the banner of Christ, then you must pay respect and honor to whom each is owed, regardless of how much you agree with them. And the Apostle Paul here, by the way, as far as to who it's owed, says the people in the seats of government is instituted by God. So there isn't some little cop-out that these people are somehow not deserving of your respect or not deserving of being honored by your mouth just because you disagree with them. I can assure you that Donald Trump in all of his imperfections or Barack Obama or any other president of the United States that you want to take issue with can't even compare to Nero who was on the seat of the world at the time Paul said those things. Whether you are liberal or conservative, libertarian, what have you, you are called by God to honor and respect those in office in the places of government. We are in this world, but we are not of it. We live in and thus are subject to the governing authorities of the United States of America, but we have to remember that the minute we placed ourselves under the Lordship of Christ, we became citizens of another world. We are residing here as foreigners in exile, patiently awaiting the return of our king to bring us home to the world where we truly belong. And with that in mind, it's important that we note that the gospel is preached in many other ways other than the verbal account of Jesus' life. It is also preached in our actions. In context, the first letter from Peter was addressed to ethnically Jewish believers, Jewish Christians, in Asia, who were there as a result of exile. And I want you to listen to what he's saying to them here as I read what he says to them. I want you to try and place yourself within the frame of Peter's words as a modern-day individual living in the United States. Peter told them, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Does that not sound like us Christians in this world? Does that not sound how we are to properly respond when we are faced with clear evils from those in government, like what's going on right now in California? You can call it evil. I'm not saying you can't, because it is. But it's very important to understand that we need to keep our conduct among the people who persecute us honorable. So that, as Peter says here, there's an effect to it. When they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. When the Lord comes back, they are going to speak well of you to him. I want you to think on that that the actions you are taking right now and the things you are doing are going to have an effect, which is absolutely mind-blowing, that the people who are committing evil against us as Christians right now are going to see the way we honor them despite what they do to us. And when God comes down here and stares them right in the face, they're going to say, hey, that person over there, yeah, they belong to you. And they were incredible. We are the aliens. We are the exiles in a foreign land. 
and as exiles, we will be subject to the authorities and institutions of this land. But hear me here. We cannot, and I mean we cannot, make the mistake of becoming so ingrained in the ways of the world we live in that we begin to lose character of the world we actually belong to. The book of Jeremiah gives a lot of insight into how we should live as exiles in a foreign land, and you can see the parallels within the words of Jeremiah to the children of Israel in Babylon toward us as Christians in the world today. And I want to walk through this way of the exile, and as we do, just like I asked you to do with Peter's words, I want you to really place yourself within this scripture. Really take in what it says and place yourselves in the shoes of an exile. I'm going to be looking at Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 14. Jeremiah wrote a letter to the exiles in Babylon that said, Thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill you to my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. And when you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. What an incredible parallel to our lives here in this world. But, but did you grasp what it said in that chunk of scripture? Did you notice how it said to multiply? How it mentioned to pray for the welfare of the city, which I would even extend that to the nation and those governing it? Did you notice how it said within the city they go, they will find their welfare from the Lord? Brothers and sisters, make no mistake, this is not the time for us to be so divided among ourselves between our personal opinions on politics and political officials. This is the time for us to multiply, to spread the faith, to work together all the while blessing those in government and praying for the welfare of the president, regardless of who holds that seat, in order for these things that our nation may do well, and along with it, we will do well. And that's only a small part of it. Look at what the Lord says at the end of the paragraph. The wonderful promise to return us from exile to the home we truly belong to. To the place where the Lord will never be out of sight for us or far away. The place where we will have treasures beyond anything we could hope for in this life. A place like the garden where everything will be restored to a beautiful union with God and thus to the state of being we were always meant to be in. 
Actually, the way scripture paints it will be in an even better state than where we were in the garden. Is that not a worthy hope to look forward to? Is it not a hope on which we can model our lives in preparation toward? Like the Lord said there, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. There are people among our body who are claiming to speak for God and are saying we should be hating people in a way that many do today. And I pray that the Lord have mercy on their souls for the things they are saying because they will be held accountable to it. But we are not to listen to them. We are to listen to Jesus who told us, bless those who persecute you. That is who we are to listen to. That is the example that we are to set. Not for no reason, for the hope that we have in the next life. And I know some of you might tell me, oh, but Arturo, they're, they're trying to destroy my rights and my freedoms and the government. Ah, I understand. And to you, I say nothing more than be at peace. I will always advocate to defend our religious liberties as are protected and defined by the U.S. Constitution. Always. In fact, I believe our country has a uniqueness to it that cannot be paralleled for that very reason. However, our conduct in doing so must always be in a manner that first brings glory to God. I'm probably going to step on a lot of toes here if I haven't already, but I'm not here to shy away from controversy or controversial statements as so many do. We don't belong to the United States of America. We belong to the kingdom of God. And so our priority is first and foremost the things of God. And you know, as important as our religious liberties are, our faith doesn't end with the religious liberties offered by the United States. And again, I will always, always advocate to protect them, but we need to rest in the fact that if the United States Constitution fails, and if the United States of America as we know it ceases to exist until the end of time, Christianity is not going to fall out of the picture along with it. There's this belief going around that somehow the United States of America is the ultimate foundation of Christianity in the world. And I believe that the United States of America plays a really big part in the influence of Christianity, but ultimately it's not the lifeblood that's keeping it alive. I believe that the founding fathers of this great nation wrote our Bill of Rights with the aid of the Lord. In fact, you can even go and find Benjamin Franklin's own words when the founding fathers were arguing about how to get rid of the Articles of Confederation to write the Constitution on our Bill of Rights. And Benjamin Franklin basically put them all in their place and said, do you not remember during the revolution when every time we met we would pray? And he says, have we forgotten our faithful friend? And it is after they prayed to God that they wrote that, but I need you guys to understand that the U.S. Constitution and the Bill of Rights is not the inspired Word of God. Rather, the Holy Scriptures are the inspired Word of God. And the Holy Scriptures tell me that all flesh is grass, and its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fade when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are the grass. The grass withers, the flowers fade. But the word of our God stands forever. So my hope is not in the United States or the existence of it. My hope is not in the Bill of Rights or our U.S. Constitution. 
the church has existed for thousands of years without the help or the existence of the United States, most of that time thriving despite being faced with constant persecution. And in the midst of that persecution, they didn't fight back flashing some right to carry a sword or even with violent resistance at all. Rather, they fought back by endurance and persistence in the preaching of the gospel in loving and honoring everyone and in praying for each other in the lands they lived in, including the ones who actively slaughtered them at every single chance that they got. So all of this said, my friends, we need not to worry about the future, about whether or not the United States will fall to the communists or whether leadership in our country is on the left or on the right. If such things happen, and as much as I pray and actively work against them, our duty is first and foremost to the Lord and human beings, as I said earlier, are not our enemy. Our enemy is in the unseen, constantly working against us, but we know as believers that in the end the Lord will be victorious and us exiles in this world will be brought home. Rejoice in this hope that we have amidst the conflicts of our time. Focus on the things of the Lord and remember to always conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy to the Lord. American politics is not an evil thing, friends. But as much as we should have involvement, it should never become an idol. There is a hope much higher than any of these things we see before us. And so in closing, I want to give a statement that I hold to. It is believed by many that to be a good Christian is to be a good American. Instead, it should be said that to be a good American is to be a good Christian. And that is our duty before anything else. Friends, I want to thank you so much for listening. And again, it is my mission to talk to you about all the things of God and to help you understand what the Bible actually says and do so in the most raw and real format possible. So if you like this podcast and you really believe in what we're doing, please subscribe on your preferred listening service. We are available on Spotify, Apple, and Google. So whichever service you are listening on, smash that subscribe button and share this with your friends. Get the word out. The more people we have listening in, the more lives that can be touched by what I believe the Lord is doing through this podcast. And so I say to you, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Have a blessed week. And I will see you next time here on the Barefoot Bible Podcast.